0: Before we get into today's episode, let's get into something we know you'll love, Boucher Foods. The juggle is real. Work, kids, family, friends, self-care. Finding balance ain't easy. One thing I did this year that helped was discover Boucher. They take the stress out of mealtime with their nutrient-dense, ready-made meals for kids aged 1 to 12. Guilt-free, fast food dinners for you and your little ones that are tasty and free of the nasty stuff. They offer a pad thai, a bolognese, lemongrass chicken, pesto chicken, and a lentil dal. Your little ones will love. Five minutes in the microwave and voila, dinner or lunch is done. They're a true lifesaver. Find two of their meals in selected Coles supermarkets and the rest online. Thank me later. See the show notes for more on Boucher Foods.
1: really horrendous birth at 17 days overdue um i yeah 17 days overdue i was induced it was
2: five days in the hospital
1: six days sorry six i think it was like 55 hours or something of of labor until i gave birth emergency c-section
0: welcome to parenthood where our lives and stories aren't perfect but very real I'm your host, Leonie Kidonor, and each week I'll be peeling back the often silent struggle we face as parents and bringing you guilt-free conversations to help you feel seen and heard. It's like group therapy. Leave your judgment at the door. Let's begin. Welcome to the show. Eliza Stewart, welcome to the podcast. So great to have you on today. Oh,
1: thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah. That first podcast
0: together as they <laughs> oh, meet each other. So pretty exciting. Oh, oh yeah. that is so exciting. I feel privileged. Um, <laughs> for those listening, Eliza has her own podcast and is the co host of Baby Baking and Kid Raising. And so, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't got Stuart on to no. yours yet. No? Oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I'll I'll I love it. that. I do all of the work in the background. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're the man behind the, uh, the, behind the pod. Love it.
2: <laughs> well, I was a brainchild.
0: Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Um, So by way of intro, Eliza is doing a number of things. She's the founder of Bump and Bub and owner and CEO of Franjo's Kitchen. Uh, Very, very exciting new venture for yourself. And um, she's also a registered midwife and perinatal mental health specialist. And Stuart works in the startup world, which is certainly no easy feat either, mate. So uh, hat goes off for to you too. Um, so quite the power dynamic I have with us today. And look, I'm so wrapped that you guys were able to take the time. I know this is probably the busiest period in your lives with, you know, little Barb now recently purchased business and all the things. So yeah, certainly feel so grateful that you've been able to take the time. And I really want to explore with you guys, given that you do have very demanding jobs and, you know, you're the, uh, um, you know in the early stages of parenting too, maybe some of your insights as to how you're juggling it all and, you know all the you know how you are overcoming certain conflicts and challenges that might be coming your way. So I guess first and foremost, um, Stuart, I noticed an accent. Tell us a little Great. bit about where you're from and how you met our gorgeous Eliza.
2: Of course. So I am proudly South African. Um, my lineage and my parents are actually British, and I am the only uh, member of my family, my entire family, dating back many many years. that was born in South Africa, so I've got British blood, but I'm proudly South African. Um, I have lived um, in three different countries in uh, in Africa. So I was raised in Botswana. I was raised in Namibia as well as Cape Town, essentially following the family around um, and my dad around. Um, and yeah, obviously just, you know, proudly from the continent, proudly from the country and, mm. you know, obviously, Proud to be a, a South African and have my daughter be fifty-one um, percent South African, as I say.
0: <laughs> Where's the one percent? Is that just like an extra bit that you've yeah, you, <laughs> on <laughs> the end there? The,
2: the majority <laughs> share. The majority share. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. And so, yeah, how did you guys meet? Were you traveling? What happened? Yeah, so so th- as the story
2: goes, I um I had just got out of a a, a long relationship, and I think Eliza had as well. Um, and one of my friends essentially gave me some advice and he says, you know, when you go overseas, just be vulnerable. Right. And at the time he gave me this advice and I thought, you know, this is ridiculous, right? Give me, give me something better. You know what I mean? I mean, t- tell me something that that's, you know, something exciting, but he said that I went, um, to Hong Kong cause my best friend lives there. And, and obviously, you know, that, that is where we spent the majority of time sort of forging our relationship in person. Uh, but I went to Hong Kong when I, when I went to Hong Kong, my, um, my friend said, you should go and explore while you're here. So. I happened uh, to go to Vietnam for, I think it was three nights in total, when solo traveling. Um, and, and sort of a long, very long story short, I, um, I randomly decided to go and sit at uh, a table that Eliza and her friend were sitting at. Um, it was, you know, coming from Cape Town and sort of the dynamic with relationships there, you know, you don't really approach girls, right? It's, it's very clicky and it's not something that I'd usually do, right? Um, But I was in Vietnam. I was walking. Um, I told Eliza um, afterwards that I was also pretty thirsty. So I wanted a beer. So I stopped. I was and saw her, you know, sort of instant beauty. And I thought, wow, you know, I get the opportunity here. And and Stuart, you know, what do you have to lose? Right. I was like, I got nothing to lose. They could just tell me to bugger off for that. Yeah. So I went and sat down and um, sort of sparked a a conversation. Now, um, it, it must have been written in the stars because. There were, there were sort of two or three instances where it really made sense. So my mom's a doula. So immediately with Eliza being a midwife, you know, mm. I, I knew terms that I probably should, shouldn't have known and we were discussing that. Um, and then I think one of the other important things is that someone in Vietnam came with a, a set of books. There's about 10 books. now. There's
1: always people trying to sell you things. Yeah.
2: I, I hadn't read a significant amount of books in my life. Mm. But five books out of the 10, I had read. Um, so I was busy mouthing those off to Eliza. I was like, oh, this book is great, you know. So it all just really worked out.
1: I've, I've since learned he's a smooth talker. It's <laughs> literally just luck.
2: Yeah. Um, and then funnily enough, you know, we, you know, I, I'm not too sure how it actually unfolded, but we ended up seeing each other um, the day after um, and quite easily could have missed each other, which is also quite funny because, um, they happened to, we weren't really in contact and we were, I think we were supposed to meet at a certain place. They were a couple of hours late. So I sort of hung around, uh, hope, you know, hopeful. Yeah. Um, and we really fell in love. I think it was honestly, truly love at first sight. Um, Eliza wanted to try and flog me off to one of her mates in Italy. Um, I want this on record, so that's why I'm saying now. Um, no, look, just, it, it was magical, right? It was meant to be. And seven years on one kid, multiple businesses and yeah. multiple travels around the world. And here we are.
1: Yeah. So I think Stuart Stuart's a good storyteller, but he also misses key parts. Okay. Tell us.
2: <laughs>
1: key parts. So Stuart was living in Cape Town at the time. I was living in Sydney. We were both in Vietnam for these crazy three days in summary. Met and I literally within 24 hours was like, you're, you're my best friend. I've never met anyone that I've clicked with so much. Never in my life had I met someone that, yeah, we just clicked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just friendship for <laughs> these 72 hours. I think we kissed just before. Um, we left, and then yeah, he f- flew home. I flew home. We chatted continuously. Um, at that point, yeah, 7 me, seven, eight, seven a bit, seven and a bit years ago now. So we were just chatting, and I remember I said to him, like, just stop talking to me now. You know, we, we know we're never going to see each other again. I've got to admit, I've never set foot in Africa. Like, you're not going to mm-hmm. be in Australia. And he said, no, I'm sorry, that's not that's not going to happen. What are you doing on Wednesday? And I think it was like Monday at that point. And I said, I'm working, why? And he said, great, I've booked my flights. I'll be at your house by the time you're home. Um, And so he came and lived with me for six weeks. So I was 21. Twenty one, yeah, it's twenty one, and that's how our, our story began, which was a wild, oh. a wild guys. He came and lived with me, and yeah, that was that was the beginning of where
0: we are today. Yeah. I like how's that for like, like just getting shit done, right? Like you're <laughs> you're like, dude, I'm coming to Oz like tomorrow. So, but like, what a leap of faith as well from your perspective. Obviously, like you knew there was something there. Not everyone, I guess, could do that. But the fact that you just prioritized that, like, says a huge amount. As to where you got, like how you your connection was from the get go. Um, I'm like, uh, yeah, such an amazing story. And I, yeah, tell us a little bit more about so the international travels because obviously you were in Sydney for a, a couple of weeks and then you guys ended up living overseas for a while. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, we did. So I was in the middle of my first year of midwifery post um, u- university, um, so I had to fulfill this time. You know, and, and annual leave was very sparse and whatnot. So we did. Uh, I think two years, maybe two years of long distance relationships. So between Australia and Cape Town, no, he would fly to me, I would fly to him, and we'd just go backward and forward, probably every six months. So it was it was difficult, yeah. um, and we, you know, I was an angsty twenty one year old. Like it, it was hard, not yeah. hard. it was hard. Stuart's almost six years older than me, so he'd probably he was a bit calmer. He knew that he was in it for the long haul, whereas I was, you know, a bit angsty. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, a few, a couple of years in, we decided I didn't want to move to South Africa on the basis that uh, basically swapping your midwifery degree there is very difficult. And if you do, you have to go into um, where somewhere where the government assigns you, and it's often incredibly dangerous areas, um, and I just wasn't ready to do that at that time. Stuart didn't want to come to Australia. God knows why. That's another chat.
2: I can tell you. Um, <laughs> we didn't want to enter into each other's lives. I, th- I thought that was very, uh, okay. very important. Right, We wanted to, yeah. to forge our sort of own story. And mm. sort of quite, quite easily, you know, you can move into someone else's space and become quite comfortable. You adopt their friends, you know, yeah. everything is sort of geared towards their lives. So I thought mm. it was very, very important. And I, it was pretty much non negotiable on my part, um, that we need to move to, to, uh, you know, a mutual country.
1: Mm. Yeah. So, and, and I do think that that's actually a, a massive, um, positive attribute that Stuart has he's so scared of being comfortable which I guess to most people most people seek a content comfortable life Mm. and I don't know whether it's his upbringing and it's seeing you know what he's seen in you know southern Africa but he has a massive (laughs) problem with being comfortable and that's definitely come on to me and that's why we're doing and have done so many things Mm. because of this kind of constant need to do and be more Mm. um but, um, yeah, so we had decided, as Stuart said earlier, he had been to Hong Kong to visit his best mate. Uh, and that's, he'd then flown from Hong Kong to Vietnam where we'd met. I didn't really have a preference where, where we were going to move. Um, but Stuart knew his best mate was in Hong Kong. There's loads of expats. And it was funnily enough, one of the only countries in Asia that I could move my midwifery degree to like a medical conversion over there mm-hmm. pretty easily. So we, yeah, picked, picked Hong Kong out of nowhere, really. And we moved over and we had obviously never lived together. And, you know, what's cute and sexy previously is not so much when you're, you know, in a tiny flat in Hong Kong and suddenly they're softer there and they're dirty laundry. <laughs> <and it's> like-
0: <laughs> <laughs> but this is the real deal, baby, like yeah. getting right into it. So how many years did you guys stay there for?
2: I was there for four and yeah. I think in total we were very close to four. Yeah, yeah
0: four solid. And did you always know you wanted to have children back in Oz or how did that conversation go?
1: Yeah, I always... I didn't love living in Hong Kong. I think now, retrospectively looking back, we've been back for about eighteen months. It's um, it's an amazing place. We lived there during a very difficult time in terms of the country and the politics that went on in the country. Uh, Most people will probably know about the massive riots that were happening in Hong Kong um, and the extradition laws that kind of came in, and so there was a lot of. Um, things going on there with relation to the actual country. And so we were there for probably four months before that all started. Yeah. So then that kind of started and kicked off and it was a, a not not a peaceful place to be at all and it was, you know, had – some fear around it, mm. um, and then COVID kind of kicked off yeah. and
2: you we rolled know, into a, a pandemic.
1: So the laws, um, as you know, worldwide, everyone had their own laws, but the laws were quite strict over there and kind of really impacted things. So anyway, it was a, it was a very interesting few years to be in Hong Kong, mm. um, and I was kind of gunning to get home from probably year two, uh, and we did stay on for a fair while. Um, and yeah, looking back, it was such an amazing amazing experience and the friends and the you know friends that live there I think when you're an expat it's something that you can't quite explain it's just mm. everyone sticks together yeah. no one's got family there and you just bond at such a high rate yeah. and mm. it was tough them.
2: though it was very tough for our relationship um mm. especially awesome. the first 18 months it was it wasn't easy it was a, a daily struggle uh just based on on the jobs that we had I was working as a recruiter very very long hours sort of unexpected um and you know really trying to sort of ply my trade and and, you know, get into the industry and, and working extremely long hours, right? Where we, we, sometimes we wouldn't really see each other during the day, right? During the week and then, you know, weekends and extramural. So, um, it was, it was tough. It was very, very tough. Um, mm-hmm. but essentially what, what set us, you know, for the rest of our lives, I think going forward and in, in terms of the sort of stability and strength that we have. And it's,
1: I think also when you, you know, it's all very beautiful and, um, whimsical when you're doing long distance and when you come yeah. together it's a holiday right and it's yeah, not yeah. something we'd really acknowledge but when I would go to Cape Town I'd go for you know four to six weeks it was a holiday we mm-hmm. it same when Stuart came to me and you you're just in a completely different mindset when it's the day-to-day life grinding you're just shattered you're living in this tiny box that is you know normal for housing in Hong Kong you've got yeah. no family and friends around you know nothing it's a different culture language everything mm-hmm. and it's just you two and you're relying on each other so heavily to give each other all of the, or meet all of these needs, Mm. um, it, it yeah, it was it was, very, it was very difficult.
0: So, like, what just on that? Like, what do you think? You know, if you both think about it, what of your each of your biggest challenges? I guess from a relationship viewpoint, was there something that sort of comes to mind? Where I guess as well, Eliza, if you're sitting there, particularly after year two, I mean, if we think about where your head was at there, you're kind of like, I might be ready to let. Like, I can imagine that in itself could have caused a bit of friction. But if you think about it holistically about your time there major challenges for you guys what do you think
2: mm. it would be time right just literally spending time working on the relationship right as yeah. you know we were new to to living with each other right mm. um and I think a ge- just a general understanding of, of how you know we can establish ourselves individually and then establish ourselves as a couple so mm. I think yeah the, the the time factor was just that we didn't have an opportunity to really spend quality time together um, and when we did you know it was somewhat pressurized or only over a weekend um, and then really with the job that I had is that look it, it took a phase of being established right because I was new to the new to the job so there was quite a lot of pressure on on that as well where what essentially was dictated and, and discussed didn't come to fruition until a couple of years on so it was really a, a sticking point for us and, and a point of frustration especially for Eliza because you know it was continually like okay look you know next quarter next quarter next year it's it's all you know it's all going to come to fruition and it's mm. it's going to be worth it but during those initial couple of years it it wasn't and it it really did cause you know um yeah, significant significant struggle and, and frustration, I think, for us.
0: Mm, and particularly because you're both go-getters, right? And you're like, cool, let's achieve, let's get the things and I guess, yeah, if you're feeling that stalling or your progress is perhaps stalling and not happening as quickly as you'd like, I can imagine like you and yourself would be frustrated, but then as a couple, right, if you're both frustrated, it, it sets the dynamic a bit. I'm curious as well because and I asked the question because now that you've got a child in the mix, right, and I understand you guys are back in um, Sydney, Australia now, but um, you know, that's difficult for quality time as well. Do you think the experience that you had in Hong Kong, to some extent, the lessons that you had there, you were able to implement them when you did have your, you know, have your little child? Like, was there any sort of synergies there?
1: I think so, yeah. I think um, for me, yes, the time the time thing in Hong Kong was, you know, a really big part of any resentment, I would use the word resentment, mm. um, that kind of built. But I also think it was just about knowing each other's personality. Um, and we, we just, we just had such a steep learning curve. And I think when you're from two different continents and you're from two different cultural backgrounds, it really, it, it, it was tough. And I think Stuart is a very, very perpetually optimistic person. And it's one of my favorite traits about him, but it's also one of the most irritating traits about him. Um, and so there's never, there's, there's just never doom and gloom. And to me, I'm I'm not particularly that, po- well, I, I'd like to think that I'm a positive person, but I'm not, I, I think I'm more realistic and I tend to see issues a lot of the time, especially when it comes to like Hong Kong or, you know, you're not seeing the, you know, fruition or the financials associated with his job in those first few months. I was like, well, then let's get out of here. Yeah. And he was like, but no, like it takes time. It takes progress. And again, that's, I think it's from, yeah, definitely from our, our upbringings. Like Stuart can very quickly say, if things can be spiralling around us and he'll say, we are healthy, we've got a roof above our heads, we've got food on our plates, like mm-hmm. just take a step back here. And I've never had to look at life like that because I've been brought up in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Mm-hmm. So when you, and and I only kind of fully understood this when I visited South Africa and actually understood that if you walk outside your flat every day and you see you know immense poverty and you see people really truly struggling to stay alive the other stuff gets it, it diminishes life problems a little bit and that's something that took a long while to learn because i just couldn't understand it i wasn't brought up um like that so that's been yeah a, a big a big lesson so i think yeah in parenthood it has it has definitely helped us i think quality time is very sparse um at the moment but like you said or, or alluded to the, the stint in Hong Kong kind of prepared us for that yeah. Um, and just having a deep understanding that, you know, this is forever and maybe quality time isn't here at the moment, but that's okay. It will, it will come back and it will be there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think for myself, I, I'm very conscious that the phase that we in, right. Of, of course, it, you know, every parent knows this is that, you know, your, your relationship takes a significant knock in terms of, you know, quality of time and doing your own thing, even in, in a mm-hmm. personal capacity. But yeah, the, the way that I look at it, and, and I know, is that it's just going to be delayed, right? So, in five years' time or ten years' time, you know, it, it comes back. So, and this is with most things in life, and, the, and how I look at it is that you know, the, the now is obviously the now, mm. but in the future, you know, you're probably going to be struggling because of emptiness syndrome, and all of your kids have left, and then. So, I, I'm always able to to you know have a look at the, the long term and think, mm. you know, the struggle is now. We're not spending time together now. There's sometimes, and mm. um, you know you know days in which we we really don't spend too much time together at all right mm. but yeah, that's, that's sort of it in summation, really, that um, the future is is brighter than the days of times.
0: Yeah, I think, like, that perspective is, like, so beautiful, and as in just the fact that, you know, you've got this real holistic perspective around these things. Cause you're right, Eliza, I'm the same as you. Like, i can, and being brought up in a nice suburb in Melbourne and, you know, like, don't get me wrong, we all have our own internal struggles and things that have happened in our childhoods, but nowhere near to the level of extent where you're walking out on the street and seeing extreme uh posit- poverty. And I'm just curious, Stuart, from your perspective as well, like the people that you would surround yourself with, like, would they similarly have perspectives around, okay, that's not a big deal. Let's just let that go. Or do you think it's probably a little bit of your personality too, where you just kind of are a generally optimistic person? Like what, what culturally, what's it like in South Africa?
2: Yeah. Well, culturally it's incredible, right? Mm. Because I, I obviously, I absolutely love South Africa. We know, we know the the history of South Africa with with apartheid and you know, obviously the racial divides. But mm. it's it's so incredible um, being able to grow up in a country in which you get to live day to day with people that are from significant different different races and significantly different cultures as well, right? And it, it it guides you and it changes your way of thinking. Now, in terms of sort of the optimism and personality traits. You know, I do have a lot of friends that that are optimistic and, and happy and positive, but I also have friends that are on the other side, right? So I would say, yeah, you know, to a certain extent, it's it's probably you know directly, you know, geared as a result of my personality and how I look at things and how I was brought up, mm-hmm. um, and then generally, just you know, S- South Africa, it 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 just changes your mindset, right? And and that's why I've I've told the lies that I'm 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 really want to try and put as much of what I learned and how I grew up in South Africa as a country and other African countries, right? Third world countries mm. and get that across to Zadie as well. Um, Cause I, I do think it's, it's important, yeah. right? Where there's, there's, there's a, there's bigger issues at play in life. Um, you know, so, yeah.
1: I also think if you don't mind me saying. Please do. Stuart has ADHD I and I think that was something that was another major impact on our relationship and at the time that we met he he hadn't been diagnosed with ADHD yet but I also think that with ADHD or specifically with you because because you're not you you can hyper focus on things and that's a superpower of ADHD Mm -hmm. um and with that comes like he's not worrying about the 10 loads of washing that haven't been done because his mind doesn't even go there. He's not thinking about what's going to be for dinner because he's focusing on what's in front of him. And so for me, like I, I have had anxiety in the past and I've been medicated for that. I'm not now, but I have been. So for me, it's like, I'm perpetually worrying about the past, the future, and the present where he's not, he's just so focused on the now and the future is always bright because we can deal with issues then. So I think ADHD also plays into your, yeah, um,
0: yeah positivity big, around that. Big time. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. really interesting. And, look, it just goes to show, I me mean, you guys came from such different upbringings, like culturally and um, family dynamics, I'm sure we're different as well. I mean, we always, you know, the way which we, we were brought up will obviously have an influence on the way in which we parent. So I'm curious, given that you've come from such different cultures, you know, do you find that your parenting styles differ as well? And if they do, how do you overcome the differences?
1: (laughs) Hmm. I mean, so Zadie's only one. Um, And I, to be honest, I would say no, not really. I think that at the moment our kind of core fundamentals or beliefs are the same. We want to raise, you know, a happy, healthy child that has oodles of confidence. Um, I think that's just, you know, the foundation of um, Zadie. And I think... Or our, our parenting philosophy, we we've done some, I think, questionable things. When she was three and a half months old, we set off on a on a world tour. We took her to seven different countries, and we look back now and can't remember any yeah. of it because we were so sleep deprived. <laughs> but um, you know, there's, I think, our our core kind of fundamentals are very similar, and and yeah. things that we want you know Zadie to learn and know about. Um, I think as she gets older and there's probably they'll probably change, you know, or, or we'll have some differing um, differing opinions. I know for me, I'm always I worry a lot more, and it comes back down to everything. But I worry a lot more about her, and I and I question if we're doing enough and this and that. Whereas Stuart doesn't; he just yeah. believes that we're doing the best job that we can. And
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think the biggest biggest thing at the moment. Is that yeah we are aligned when it comes you know if when we go and essentially do a debrief like how how are we doing across across life at the moment whether it's like personal you know health and fitness or whatnot I think parenting is is actually at the top of it and we we're doing as best as we can right and I mean the main thing at the moment and we're lucky because we we both can can work from home from home is is being present when we can be and being completely present um and that's that's the most amazing thing right it is that's yeah it's like being able to to do that and as a as a as a parent. I think in the future, as Eliza said, I mean, there's some things that we've already discussed that uh, will definitely be contentious in the future. But for the time being raising a little one, um, you know, we always sort of on on the same page and I have faith in Eliza's decisions as well. Mm -hmm. Right. I know, Mm -hmm. you know, mom instinct is, is mom instinct. So Mm -hmm. if it, if it ever is sort of a 50, 50, unless I am, you know, 100% 100% gung-ho on something, I will generally say, okay, you know, let's, let's go with what you think or what you feel. Because um, mm. generally it's right, right? Mom instinct
0: overrides any love instinct. Love that. That's a good perspective to have. <laughs> um, I'm curious, though, like if you're thinking about teenage years, right? Like I'm just curious, and again, perhaps the way you were both brought up, like I know I came from a very disciplined household and for, I wanted to go to every party that there was and I was very social. My dad, actually, Stuart, is Nigerian, so... Uh, Um, Yeah, my mum's Greek, so um, again, too, like the clash of the cultures sort of thing for them as well. But um, and you know they came to this country. Like dad was born in Nigeria, so they came as um, he came as a migrant. Mum was born here, but went back to Greece and then came back. But um, basically, they were essentially very like we were a migrant family, and this is where like the hustle and the coming from nothing and having not much finance, and they ended up building a property development business. But um, you know, so when I grew up, it was very like money was always very contentious and, and it's like you study and you get, you know, academics was the reason why he was able to go to a specific boarding school which gave him opportunities to travel um, and had scholarships at different universities um, overseas. So that was sort of his ticket out of the country. And I yeah. think, again, from your perspective, from that perspective, like that was for him particularly coming from not much money at all, that that was like his lifeline, right? So for yeah. him, academics was like everything. So we don't have time to go to parties. We don't have time. Whereas I'm like, I need to be at every party. And like yeah. this is like social suicide if I'm not there. Like, you know, and so again, a clash of cultures. So And mum was more easy on me, I guess, and would always sort of had my back and was like, all right, you go and I'll pick you up by 10, but at least you can go, you know. So she was a little bit more softly, softly from the social perspective. So, I mean, do you feel like if things like that were to come up in the future for you, would you have different perspectives? Briefly interrupting this episode to thank today's sponsor, Ergo Pouch. If you haven't heard of the Australian sleepwear brand ErgoPouch, they make premium, certified organic and natural fibre tog-rated sleepwear and sleep solutions. We've been using Ergo Pouch sleeping bags for our boys their entire lives. They're an absolute staple in our household. When you have little kids, all they do is throw off their sheets and blankets while sleeping. Then they wake up, then you wake up, and everyone loses their sleep. That's why the ErgoPouch sleeping bags are so essential for us. It ensures that our boys are kept snug and warm at the right temperature throughout the night. So with summer approaching, obviously we're going to start thinking about changing up our kids' sleepwear ergo pouches tog rated fabric and what to wear guides takes the guesswork out of sleepwear ensuring a comfortable sleep for your little ones regardless of the temperature their limited edition holiday collection has just been introduced there's this adorable clay hued print named sunny with these cheerful radiant suns and also ocean ocean is inspired by the underwater world so so cute My four-year-old Noah, who sleeps in PJs, will be all over the Ergo Pouch short sleeve uh, 0.2 Tog Ocean. That's definitely on our list. For our three-year-old Charlie, he still throws his sheets and blankets off him throughout the night, so he'll definitely be in the Ergo Pouch sleeping bag. It's the perfect way to keep him warm. To help add some Ergo Pouch to your child sleepwear collection, Ergo Pouch has an exclusive offer for parenthood listeners. For the next two weeks, take 20% off their entire collection. Exclusions apply. Enter the code PARENTHOOD20 at checkout on ergopouch.com.au by the 10th of October to receive this exclusive discount on orders throughout Australia. Yes,
2: I think. Look, I went to the boarding uh, boarding school as oh, well. Oh, did you? So yeah. So it's um, the one thing that is – it's not contentious. It's something that we've already discussed is public school versus private school, especially in Australia. Um. And look, that is obviously one thing that we are going to deal with in, in the future, um, taking everything into consideration. Um,
1: A.K.A. Stuart's dead set that our child will go to a private school and yeah, I yeah.
2: don't even... But this, this is because of the know, yeah. that I had, right? Similar yeah. to your father. Yeah. Like, who would, you know obviously if he had, I, I went to a private school. So yeah, for that, you know, yeah. because it's it's, it's it's that level of importance yeah. and he lived that and he benefited from it. So it, it makes sense to, right. And, yeah. you know, conversely, obviously, Eliza did, did not, but now in Africa, in South Africa, it's very different than the fabric here, I think, in terms of private school. So th- there's a lot of differences to it, but um, yeah, look, academics is very important. I, you know, there's this fine line between, letting someone in a teenager be who they want to be and also throttling that to a certain extent, because, you know, when you are a teenager and you know, you are impressionable, it's, it's on the parents to try and guide you as best as possible. Right. So it's going to be interesting when we get to that because the world is also changing and the world is evolving. And, you know, we see, you know, consumption of, of media consumption of, information from teachers etc cetera, etc cetera. but um yeah when we get to the teenage stage we'll, we'll see how that goes but i'm gonna i'm more than likely going to be a strict parent i think that's that's important. Mm. Um, mm. rather be strict and then be able to take the foot off as opposed to not be strict at
1: all mm. yeah i think it's yeah it's interesting I, I also to be honest think that i'll i i, I grew up in a in a and we won't kind of go too much into it, but my parents are divorced um, and I had a bit of a, a messy teenage years in terms of their relationship um, and kind of the things that evolved from there. And there's a lot that I don't want to replicate and I'm I'm, I'm very um, – something that's always in the back of my mind. Uh, my, my parents weren't really a united front and I t- I've talked about that a lot. And I think it's – for me anyway, it's really important that you have a united front parent. Like I knew if I asked my dad something, it would always be no – but my mom would lie to my dad to allow me to do that. And at the time it was like, oh, your mom's so cool, right? My mom was the cool mum at, at school. But looking back, it's actually, it's just teaching crappy lessons, <laughs> to be honest. Like there's a difference between, you know, like some popcorn or, what you know, yeah. it's two fundamental things like belly button piercing, there yeah. like nose piercing, like buying alcohol for me and my friends when we were 16. Like just, you know, things that, I mean, my mom was so desperate to be my best friend as opposed to a mother and having that boundary was really blurred. Mm. Um and yeah, that's a, a whole other discussion, but that's something that is really important to me is, is a, is a united front. And obviously you'll have differing opinions, yeah. but at the end of the day, you, you're the parents and there's boundaries in place and, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, 100%. Agreed. And it's so, like, obvious, just speaking to both of you, that, like, your core values are very aligned and that just goes to show it doesn't matter where you, you know, were brought up in the world, like, you can meet a person that, you know, you get along with even better than the person that lives next door to you because yeah. you've got these core values, which is, you know, they don't. They say love is not enough. Fundamentally it's around your values, how you resolve conflict and all of these other, what you want in your lives, the goals, etc Etc. for your family. That's what kind of, you know, bonds two people. So yeah, it's really cool to see. I'm curious as well, talking about career, talking about ambition. So when you first had um, Zadie, did you, Eliza, take a period of time off work? Had you both spoken about what that transition was going to look like? Talk us through it. So a
1: large reason that you know, we we were in Hong Kong for a long time, was COVID and the restrictions of people coming in that weren't Australian citizens. Um, so we had to, uh, you know, do these grand applications to get Stuart into the country um, and even to prove that he was the father of my child, <laughs> even though yeah. we'd clearly been together for like five, six years at that oh, point. Yeah. Um, so the basis that he could come into the country was on a uh, working, a Tur- wor- oh, sorry, a holiday visa, Tur- a tourist visa. Tourist sorry. Visa. God, I can't even remember. A tourist visa. Um And on that visa, he couldn't work. So we basically land in the country. He got the uh, clearance to come into the country, but then we had to come in on this visa. So he wasn't able to work. And once he landed, we had to apply for a de facto visa. Um, so I was already, I think, close to 30 weeks when we Mm. moved back from Hong Kong to Australia. So we had like 10 weeks before this kid was going to be born. Mm. We had had an awful lot to do. We hadn't lived in the country for years. We had, didn't have (laughs) any kind of right to be in the country working. So it was a bit of a high stress situation, but, um, and there was COVID was rampant. Mm. Uh, So we came in and we applied for this visa, um, but we knew that Stuart wouldn't get it for say 10 weeks. And from that point um sorry he he had to have this uh, holiday visa for three months and then he could apply for this partnership visa and then he could work so Mm -hmm. anyway in summary the time that he could start working would be essentially once I had given birth just as I had given birth Mm -hmm. and I guess we'd made that decision um and we were able to financially which was amazing from Stuart's hard work in Hong Kong that he would take six months off um until Zadie was, yeah, six months and we would get to spend this super precious time with her, which was absolutely incredible. It also worked very well uh, in the sense that I, as you have alluded to, run a few businesses. um, And at the time with COVID, businesses all felt this, but things were just delayed. Manufacturing was delayed. There was just lots of delays of um, timelines and goals that were set. And I had poured my heart and soul and finances into one of my products, which is my Motherhood Hydration Powder. Um, which is a beautiful electrolyte blend for mums through pregnancy, birth, postpartum, um, and beyond. And that was in collaboration with Franjo's prior to me buying a majority share of the company. So I had, you know, a huge lot. Like I had a massive stake in this and I had invested a a lot of money Mm. um, and a lot of time and effort. And this was just like my baby. Although I was about to give birth, this was just something I had spent so long on. And, of course, it launched I think it was like three weeks or four weeks before I was giving birth, wasn't it? And so it just launched as I was about to give birth Mm -hmm. um, and I had no real option. I planned to take a little bit of maternity leave, but I also didn't have that many options around that because I hadn't, and this is just looking back and it's business lessons, I hadn't set up the infrastructure within my business to be able to take the time off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think I thought as a midwife, I had newborn life down pat. (laughs) Um, and I think I was like, you know, they, they sleep for so many hours a day, we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is my specialty. I'm I'm a midwife. I can do, you know, the first three months I am, I'm, I'm set. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. But anyway, um, so yeah, Stuart was staying at home, which was fantastic. I was Mm -hmm. still working. I was obviously there with Zadie 24 hours a day. And to be honest, I slept on my chest 90% of the day. Um, but yeah, that was a, a, so special. Like we look back and just think what a, what a special time. And even since then, we've both worked from home pretty much five days a week. Mm. Uh, so Zadia has seen an
0: awful lot of both. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, look, just in that, I mean, what a weapon you are to just like kick on with, you know, just getting things done. And understandably, you know, obviously there would have been a lot to navigate, right. In order to even be online, to be able to be present for a period of time during the, during the day. So curious, like, and you're fatigued and your body's, you know, gone through it and you're coming, you know, just trying to recover and you're not sleeping and all the things like I, I could imagine Stuart, like from your perspective and uh, you're there to support, but then there's things you can't breastfeed if you ended up breastfeeding Eliza. Did you breastfeed? Okay. Yeah. You know, and the, I suppose you could express a, you know, bottle feed, but there's things, you know, that you can't do. So as a couple, how did you navigate that time? Like what did you feel really supported you in, in that? When you're in the trenches,
2: yeah, it's all a bit of a blur, to be honest. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if the mind and the brain um, does that automatically, uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, you really, as, as as sort of the the partner of someone that's given birth, um, you know, you feel hopeless the majority of the time, right? We mm-hmm. know this, right? Because generally, baby wants mom. You know, you can yep. do nappy changes as much as you want, and mm-hmm. you know, you can obviously try and put them to bed as much as you want. But yeah, there was there's a long period where you know, you can't not feel helpless and almost be helpless sometimes. Mm. So, um, I suppose I just, you know, try my best to to do anything that Eliza pretty much told me to, right. To alleviate things, not noting that, you know, there's obviously, there's no way around certain tasks, as you said, right. Breastfeeding or a baby obviously wants mom or sleep, um, but yeah, it's a it's a bit of a blur. Yeah, but I, I really... you
1: also helped me a lot in my business. So like we were. Oh kind yes, of, yes, of course.
2: Yeah, of time, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, We would swap kind of roles, and I'd be like, "Tech is not my thing." So uh, yeah. even though I have a you know online community, I'd be like, Stuart, can you you know set up this website campaign and do this and help me with this?" Because I I just don't have any mental space for that. And um, but I also think his parents, so Stuart's parents, which we haven't touched on yet, are a fundamental part of our relationship. <laughs> so they live in South Africa, but we have spent we spend probably 5 months of the year with them mm. over two or three visits every year since we've met yeah. they're here right now they're right. here right now oh, they're back, back. Oh. They're back. They're <laughs> most phenomenal humans and they have played yeah. into ultimately the parents that we want to be to be honest mm. um but they came over for Zadie's birth because they're just incredible so they literally did the washing the cooking the cleaning oh, they true. did everything for weeks after i gave birth and we had I had a very traumatic birth and nothing went to plan. We were planning to have a, um, a home birth with a beautiful private midwife, and my mother in law was going to be there. And it was the dream of the dream. And it mm. turned into, yeah, a, re- a really horrendous birth at 17 days overdue. Um, I, yeah, mm. 17 days overdue, I was induced. It was
2: five days in the hospital.
1: Six day, uh, sorry, six, I think it was like fifty five hours or something, and of, of labor until I gave birth. Emergency C section, oh. hemorrhage. I had a massive complication with the epidural, and I lost all sensation in my whole body. And there was like queries about um, severe nerve nerve damage. And and I, yeah, it was it was a wow. really really horrible experience. Mm. And I think coming out of that, I think you know, I'd been talking as a midwife for close to a decade about this dream birth and how I was going to have this water birth and I was going to pull my own baby out. And we'd had this, we had this home birth midwife, um, and she was amazing. And Mm. I was so focused on this perfect birth for literally Mm. 10 years of my life. And we walked away just having a horrendous experience Mm. that we, I struggled to find any kind of positivity in. Um, and so coming out of that was, was a deep learning curve as well. Um, and that was also Amazing that his parents were there because physically I was also yeah in, in in not a great not a great space, hemorrhaging and then C-sections and epidural mishaps and whatnot. So yeah, wow.
0: phenomenal in that too. Did that play on your mental health after post-birth? Or were you okay? Not as yeah.
2: much as I thought. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's the thing, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. I was preparing, just given Eliza's history, I was really yeah. for baby blues big time. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. You
2: know, I was thinking, okay. We need to try and get on top of this at any moment. Yeah. So it, we really need to just monitor this. And mm. this is something that I was doing quite consciously. But no, I think I, you know, yeah. I, I I don't don't recall.
1: Yeah, I think mm. it. Um, it oh, yeah, I also was surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or oh, I made the decision pre-conception. We um, decided. Well, I decided that I was going to come off my anti-anxiety medication, and that's not the right decision for everyone, but it was the right decision for me. Um, So I'd come off it, and again, like Stuart said, I was pretty prepared to take it as soon as I'd given Mm -hmm. birth. Mm -hmm. I actually felt fine, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess birth trauma is also funny in the way that it kind of crops up. Like I have no desire to have another child anytime in the near future, Mm -hmm. and and that also kind of panics me a little bit, and I don't know whether that's the that was the birth or what it was. But I think, yeah, we'd always spoken about kids close together and now I'm just like, holy hecker! I, mm. um, I need but, a minute. Like. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think also yeah. it plays in, in, in funny ways. Like the other day was the first time that I've really like felt um like it was impacting me I went to this
2: um uh, so it's into your recovery session where you where you have um compression pants put like on, like massive oh
1: yeah. massive yeah. inflation things I don't know Stuart thought it was a good idea to go anyway yeah it's like, it's like things that wrap around your legs and it squeeze yeah. your legs and it basically yeah, promotes blood flow yeah and it was the first time that I felt like properly like panicked and triggered because it was like so you can't move your legs because once it's tight you can't move your legs at all yeah. and basically when I got the epidural um I, I'm anaphylactic to morphine and so they used a different combination of drugs and it was cool. all very last minute. It was like 1am in the morning mm-hmm. and she'd uh, the, the anaesthetist had tried her best and she'd come up with a concoction of drugs that um, essentially had completely paralysed me and I had no yeah no feeling at all from the neck down. Mm-hmm. So that was the same feeling and I couldn't move my legs and I had this moment of absolute panic and I was like <gasps> can you turn it off? And I was yelling mm-hmm. for the guy and I, I'm not someone that would normally panic outside of my home environment. Yeah. My anxiety hasn't really manifested into panic before yeah. um, and it was yeah it was a, a moment of being like holy moly like that birth trauma came back for a hot second yeah um, but overall it's- overall yeah I think not not it didn't particularly I think I really struggled with bonding which is another yeah. you know perfect example of birth trauma yeah. but I think my actual anxiety wasn't there but bonding with Zadie I found I found to be quite difficult mm. initially,
0: and you've mentioned something there. I mean, obviously, it's so amazing, Stuart, that your parents are such a great to support to you guys, but that is when they're in the country, right? So, I mean, for those listening as well who don't necessarily have a village to help raise their child, which is to be fair, most of us these days, right? So, yeah. you know what do you put in place to be able to support you? Yeah, I mean, I know the first year is a bit different and Zadie's only one now, but, and I'm assuming like we've got daycare organized or what are the things that you're doing to be able to have these businesses and life and time together and things like that too? I think there's an
1: awful lot of sacrifice and I know it kind of sounds like I'm doing all of these things, but I've also never missed a bedtime. I've never not been there for her nap. Like I am, we are there for 365 days of the year Um, and so a lot of it does come down to sacrifice and that is working very late at night it is working Mm. all night it is Mm -hmm. definitely not we're not really in that season of prioritizing our health unfortunately at the moment that the balance is is really is really difficult and we talk about this all the time um but essentially yeah you know parenting to us is the most important thing and and being with zadie as much as we can and she is very attached to me as you know most little (laughs) brothers are but highly attached so she will only ever sleep with us. She has never fallen asleep in her life with anyone else. She's yeah. a very difficult sleeper. Um, so I guess yeah, we my my family is in Sydney and they're amazing, but they do work full time. All of my family works full time. Um, so it, it is it is tricky. I think mm-hmm. we hired. A nanny at yeah. six months old um, and she comes literally one day a week mm. for half a day sometimes a full day again yeah. we're both still home with her just, just a breather, just yeah. a breather. Yeah. we kind of know on a monday she's going to come and she's also the, the most amazing human she'll come yeah. she'll do three loads of washing she'll wash up oh, she'll nice sweep the clothes and Zadie's asleep and we come out and every monday we're like oh, thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah a lot yeah. of it's just down to yeah the juggle mm. i
2: think i think our our situation is obviously a little bit different right because yeah. traditionally you know the person giving birth or, or the mom will actually take some time off and obviously during that time it's really you know slow down and enjoy right and, and don't, yeah. don't do not do anything that you don't need to and relax and recover mm-hmm. um but the phase that we're in at the moment um is that you know we're both very very busy and mm-hmm. it, it is literally a juggle so so much so that you know before we go to bed at night time we say okay when's your meetings when your meetings okay can I have this 30 minute gap um, can I, you know, you go into the office, I go into the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the majority of the times, you know, we are working, you know, working early in the morning, um, or I and Eliza generally work late at night as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's really about that sacrifice for the time being, knowing, knowing that, um, You know, it's not always going to be like this either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So true. And I just think it's such a fundamental thing. Cause I mean, a lot of people, even Eliza would look at you on social media and go, wow, like, you know, like look at a massive following and such high level of engagement. She's got this kind of tribe of people that, you know, really, you know, look up to her and, and, you know, and hang off your words. Like, you know, you're a wealth of wisdom online and not to mention the the businesses you're doing. But I think, you know, and people could look at that and go, oh, wow. But I think what we've all got to remember is, that there is so much work and sacrifice involved when you look at people even on social media or you know wherever you're looking at them and they're doing something perhaps that you aspire to do like this is not a no one's an overnight success I know even myself with my podcast work you know working Saturdays working round the clock waking up at five in the morning before the kids woke up at seven like you know and then people will reach out to me and be like oh like how did you fit it all in and it's like well you as you said you just do but it does feel nice sometimes like yeah. you know, yeah. that if you're passionate and you want to do something you get the job done right you know and sometimes at the detriment to other areas of your life I think I'm a firm believer that you you just can't have it all at the same time but I think you know to your point Stuart it's so great to look at life in its phases and go okay we're not you know in the honeymoon period anymore from a relationship perspective or not you know but, you know, we're kind of like flying past each other right now. But hey, we'll probably miss this period, you know, down the track when we don't have little Zadie wanting to cuddle up against us, you know, every other night. So mm-hmm. it's such a great perspective to have. And I just think such a good lesson for all of us, um, listening and perhaps people who are aspirational as well, to just go, you know, there's that little bit of hustle that's required. And also, you know, yeah, you can't the sacrifice and sort of just juggling your life priorities around that. Um yeah. Yeah, I'd love to speak a little bit in rounding out about um, the work that you're doing. I mean, I've sort of already um, led into that a bit. Eliza, like, you know, what are you up to and where can people find out more about you, your businesses, your podcast, etc.?
1: So, yeah, you've alluded to a few things that I'm doing. I guess my, and I guess this ties back into everything and why the sacrifice is there is mm. the word that you said is passion, right? Like I don't have to be running, doing all of these things that I'm doing, but at the end of the day it's, my pride and joy as well, you know, and I I love working with women. I love the pregnancy, birth, postpartum, breastfeeding space. And becoming a mum has only amplified that. Um, and I think that's why I'm taking on even more and more because, yeah, my background is obviously in midwifery, um, and working one to one with women is probably where my heart lies at the at the core. Um, but I also know that I could post something on social media and connect with. 100,000 women. And, you know, that the scalability of that connection is so powerful within social media. And that's where Bump and Bub um, gets or where I get my drive for Bump and Bub 4 because the community, and, and again, you've alluded to this, the community that I've built on there, I, I genuinely, I know people say this, but I genuinely don't know how I got so lucky. They're yeah. the nicest humans ever. And I lent so heavily into my social media when I in that first year of parenthood, because to be honest, I, I really struggled with, as I mentioned, bonding. I really struggled with sleep deprivation. I think we have a very, very challenging sleeper. Um, and we know sleep's a shit show for most parents, but we, yeah, we definitely on the, on the extreme end. Mm. And I lent heavily into um, mums from my community and it's just been phenomenal. Uh, and then when it comes to the other things, yeah, so my podcast, Baby Baking and Kid Raising, is with my wonderful co-host, Dr. Joseph Scroy, who you're also friends with Yes. Um, so, yeah, again, our passions collide, right? The, our passions are education and, you know, getting that education out to as many um, families as possible and then also making room for beautiful and incredible stories. Well, not always beautiful but incredible stories that deserve time and if we have the platform to facilitate that, I think that's just really, really important and um, that's been a, a massive yeah, a massive part of the podcast, and that's been really enjoyable. Um, as you also said, it takes a hell of a lot of work, and so much more work than I thought it was. <laughs> um, and then thirdly is Franjo's kitchen, and again, um, very exciting. I, if I wasn't a midwife, um, I definitely would be involved somehow in consumables in, well, I am I am with my muscle yeah. hydration powder, but I'm so passionate about natural health. It's probably my second biggest passion. And I literally for fun, I would you'll find me in a health food store. Like that's my yeah. idea of fun. Um, and so yeah, acquiring this brand has been so exciting and it's literally been what, three weeks. Um, but I've worked with the brand for so many years that it's kind of second nature. But yeah, stepping into CEO as opposed to midwifery educator is a lot, uh, but it's a steep learning curve and it's amazing. And at the end of the day, the fundamentals of the brand are creating, you know, nourishing consumables for the area that I'm so passionate about. And these are supporting women, especially in the... You know, in the breastfeeding and lactation and postpartum phase where you often aren't nourishing your body. So to me this is just – I love it. It's so exciting and I can't wait to grow and scale the business but keep it, you know, at its fundamentals and its roots, which is creating products that are designed and created by a naturopath and a midwife um, and it just yeah, they're just functional foods that really, really help mums because I know you don't bloody eat. Um, I really struggle to find time to eat yeah. um, and just even – Obviously, that's not something that we're going to promote, but even just <laughs> the, the, the snacks that I'm reaching for, that I was reaching mm. for in my own past, postpartum journey are, you know, these gorgeous, gorgeous ingredients, might I say, slightly biased, of friendhood.
0: So <laughs> Yeah, love that.
1: That's a wrap-up on on me.
0: <laughs> yes, love that. And um, I'd, final question for both of you. Mm. How do you think parenthood has changed you as a person? Hmm.
2: It. <laughs> look, it's definitely made me happier, right? I mean, that's that. I think that's 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 natural. I think it's it's made me want to be. I've always been someone who's trying to be the best version of myself and 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 do more, as Eliza said. But like, mm. I I really want to be the the person in Zaidi's life and future kids to come that you know they look up to and they think, okay, this is the example of a person that I want to be as well. So, mm. I think being a parent and especially to Zadie, it's 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 being, you know, more present, even though I'm generally present and just, you know, I, it's, it's overwhelming how wonderful it is that like I'm a dad now, right. Which is arguably the most important job of my life. Like, you know, jobs obviously come and go. And I really love my job at the moment. Mm. Um, Eliza's obviously in businesses, but all that actually matters fundamentally is that you're a father, you're a partner um, and you give as much love and energy and effort to, to your family. So mm.
1: Yeah, Mm, I love that. I don't know if I can top that answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think, you know, they say it's all the cliche statements, you know, become true when you're a parent. But they do say that, you know, parenthood is a massive mirror held up to you. Um, And you can see that because I, again, kind of coming back to, Mental health and emotional well-being. Like I can see if I'm impacted in any way, um, or I'm in a negative state, I can see that it affects Sadie, Especially now that she's coming into toddlerhood, like she'll look at me and smile, and if I don't smile back, she's like confused and upset. And it's so she feels my energy so much. Mm-hmm. Even she's yes, yeah, she's just a mirror. Like she yeah. shows me how I'm feeling so much more than um, sometimes my own self awareness. So I think that's been a massive learning curve. Is is um, how much of a mirror it is and it definitely kind of reflects back to you and sometimes it's not always the greatest things but it's the things you have to have to work on
0: yeah absolutely thank you both so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both and yeah really appreciate you coming on
1: oh absolutely thanks for having us we love you. love your podcast it's amazing
0: amazing <laughs> really, really appreciate it awesome thanks guys Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating or review, and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram, at Parenthood Pod and join our Facebook group. Until next time. Thanks for listening. The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on, the land of the Wurundjeri people. We pay respect to their elders, past present and emerging.